Welcome to my podcast, Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. One thing I can promise for every episode, I will be authentic about my experiences and observations and do it with as much humor as possible. Not always possible, but generally speaking, it is. Beyond that, I will keep making the point that we're all in this together and that no one should ever, ever feel alone or judged in any way. I think we can all agree that dating over 50 is hard enough as it is. After you listen, you're welcome to comment on my Lynn Garson author page on Facebook. But for now, keep listening for another new episode. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson. Welcome back to my podcast, Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. This is episode three and involves a cautionary tale about a truly perilous date I had in 2011. Yeah, that's one single date, but it was a doozy. I hope the story will leave you with a strong message about personal safety because it sure made an impact on me. So right about now, are you wondering if I ever talk about anything positive? If you listen to episode two and then you heard what I just said, you might think not. But the answer is yes, I do. And I'll tell you something a little bit positive right now. My rainbow is at the end of the story of dating, not at the beginning and not in the middle. So now I am at what I'll call close to the end, and it's very positive. Right now, I'm, in quotes, talking to three different men, which for me is a lot. Um, You know, not full-on dating, but talking to and and going out with. And two of them are well-known to close friends of mine, and in one case, even to a family member. So they're vouched for in ways that people aren't always vouched for when you meet them in an online dating service. So I've enjoyed them very much, and you know all three of them, which, as I said, is surprising for me. That that's a lot, but maybe I came by it naturally because I was told as a I don't know how old I was, you know, a young person. Uh, I remember my father saying, "Well, when I was dating your mother." She was already engaged to Horace, the matzah king in New York. I don't know which family business he was with that made matzah, but it was one of the big matzah-making companies in New York. And if you don't know what matzah is, this is part of your Jewish education, so go look it up online. It's the unleavened bread that we eat at Passover. Uh, It happens to be almost Passover right now. So on Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, she went out with my father. And on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, she went out with Horace the Matzah King. So like I said, maybe I come by this honestly. Um, I I could never match her in that, but, um, you know, more power to her. And she did end up with my father, who was a wonderful guy. So let me tell you a story about a man whom we'll call Fred. It's not his real name. I'm not going to tell you his real name, but uh, his. let's call him Fred. Fred is somebody that I met, I think, on eHarmony. It was either eHarmony or Match.com, and this is in two th- early, early 2011. Fred's profile said that he was a doctor. Um, I may have said that he was retired. I found that out later anyway, but he was a doctor, and he was a widower. 
um, he had lost his wife. So we talked a little bit, messaged back and forth, talked on the phone. He seemed like a bright guy, good-looking guy, very tall. And uh, we decided we'd meet at a bar for drinks. So we met at a bar one night, 7, 7.30, and started talking. And I told him where I worked. At that time, I had gotten out of the mental health facility not too many months before, let's call it eight, nine, ten months. Um, And I never really told this story in this podcast, but I was told that I would never work again and that I should apply for Social Security disability, which was a very bitter pill to swallow. And in fact, I didn't swallow it. And I applied for jobs as I was filling out a Social Security disability application, which I did, in fact, submit. One of the hardest things I've ever done in my life was to hit enter to submit that and got rejected, which I understand people always do first time around. But at the same time, I was looking for jobs. And I got a job as a contract lawyer working for one of the big Atlanta law firms. They had a project for a client. Client had fired all of their in-house folks, and they needed somebody outside to do the work. So three or four of us were hired to do this work on a short-term, 10-month basis. So good job. Very happy to be back in the workforce. I was recovering every month, doing better and better. So here I am, you know, ready to be dating again, and I'm meeting this guy for a drink, and I tell him where I work. And he tells me that, oh, my heavens, by great coincidence, my divorced wife, and I'll come back to that later, was best friends with the partner that you say you work with. I did health and do healthcare law, and he knew who this was. And, you know, what a coincidence. And we talked about that a little bit. And at the time, I looked at him and I said, wait a minute, was is divorced or dead? I mean, divorced, dead, you know, they're two different things. And he said maybe they were in the process of getting divorced when she died or something like that. And I thought no more about it. He told his story, continued to, to tell his story about her that she was a wonderful woman, as he said, friend, best friends with the partner I worked for, tragically had died of an allergic reaction to some medication when they were on vacation in Mexico. And, you know, nothing anybody could do. It would just happen instantaneously. So, uh, obviously, they had two children, and the children were you know, they they were just knocked down. And uh, he took them out of school, and they traveled for a long time. They went out west and lived out there, and the children went to school for a while. They lived in Spain, he said, for a while. He obviously had quit practicing medicine in order to take care of his children, as he said. And now he had wended his way with the children back to Atlanta, and was living in the suburbs and had started going out again and, in fact, told me that he had dated a woman from another large law firm in Atlanta. Didn't work out. They dated for a few months, and now he was, you know, dating other people and and had met me. And in talking further, I asked about his children. I believe he had two sons, and one was now old enough to drive, but he said he was not really able to afford his son a car right now, and that was that was difficult. Uh, we talked off and on. I think we talked for two and a half hours or so. 
And there were no sparks at all, uh, I think maybe on either side. And we said goodbye very nicely, and that was the end of that. But knowing that he had known uh, or his wife had been such good friends with the partner that I worked with, when I went back to work the next day, I went in and talked to the partner about this. Let's call her Jane. And I said, Jane, you're not going to believe who I had a date with last night, this man, Fred, this physician named Fred, who was best friends, I mean, who was married to your best friend. And this was a woman, um, many lawyers are like this, and, and some people in general are like this. She really liked to gather information, but not so much to give it out. So she played coy for a little while and said, well, you know, what do you know about him? And I said, I don't know. You know, we just went on a date, and I know his wife was your friend. And I said, is that true? And she said, uh-huh. And what else did you find out about him? Did you do any searches in medical databases or anything? And I said, no. And she said, well, you know, you might think about doing that or coming to me, especially when you're going out with a physician and I could do some research. And finally, she said, let me tell you a little bit about Fred. Fred got convicted of Medicaid fraud and went to prison. So when Fred said that he had stopped practicing medicine and taken the children uh, because they were devastated by their mother's death, uh, he also had quit practicing medicine because he had gone to jail and lost his license to practice medicine. And one tip-off um, that I, I later got, at, not at the time, he had told me that he practiced psychiatric geriatric medicine, uh, and that turned out later not to be the case. But um, at any rate, I said, wow, you know, geez, I don't really like to go out with somebody who's been to prison and, and committed fraud. So, you know, I wasn't going out with him again, but thank you for telling me this. And yes, I will try to be a little more cognizant of ways that I can investigate these men and, and not just take their word for things. So I went about my business, and a couple of days later, I had a lunch planned with a friend who worked in a government office that prosecuted, uh, I forget exactly what it was, but it was like a, a federal office that, that did prosecutions. And we talked, and you know, our usual good friend of mine, I told her about this dating experience, and she told me what was going on in her life. And then I remember very vividly, as we went down to the parking lot to get our cars, she grabbed me by the arm and she said, how did you say that that man's wife died? And I said, uh, she died of an allergic reaction to some med medicine, medication, when they were on a trip in Mexico. And she looks at me and she says, she didn't die, he killed her. So take that in for a minute. Imagine that you're me and, and this is my friend telling me that. I mean, the shiver that went up my spine and, and just the, you know, that feeling of, of shock was pretty strong. And I said, like, how, what? How do you know this? Well, our office was investigating investigating Fred, uh, but there was no evidence because Fred had had his wife cremated in Mexico the afternoon that she died. She died in the morning. He had her cremated in the afternoon, and there was no evidence. They had talked to people who lived 
in uh, his neighborhood. And apparently, many of the neighbors were also of the opinion that he had killed his wife. I have no idea why, but but they thought that. And uh, nobody was ever able to pursue anything because there was no proof. Um, I counted myself well out of that, obviously. Very lucky that, for whatever reason, I didn't want to pursue it. And more importantly, he didn't want to pursue it because I have a feeling that if he had been all gung-ho, I might have ignored some little red flags and some internal messages saying, you know, I'm not really feeling it with this guy. And I might have continued to go out with him. So, uh, you know, I feel very lucky that that happened. I realized in reflecting on what he had told me, having gone out with a lawyer at another big firm, then tried to meet me, Um, And then talking about his son not being able to buy the car, he was out of money. The insurance money was gone. He had traveled all over with the children. And he was looking for some more prey. And I felt extremely fortunate that it wasn't going to be me. Uh, I did think, how how can I stop other people from from being pursued by this man? I didn't feel that I could reach out to, if it was eHarmony or Match.com, because I had no proof. And I'm a lawyer, and that is an allegation that you don't make against somebody without proof. So, you know, I, I didn't do anything there, but what I did do is go to the other law firm and search very diligently for the woman that he had gone out with before me. I didn't know her name. I didn't know anything about her, just that he had taken her another woman out, uh, just in case he was going to go back to her. And I spoke to a lot of people in her firm. I never did find out who she was. And uh, that was the best that I could do trying to to take care of that. Uh, so the point of this story, as I said at the beginning, this one's about safety, and it really is a cautionary tale, obviously. Um, as I said at the beginning, or, or I think as I described the episode, for the longest time, my antenna really weren't up. I, I just remember Bambi, if you've listened to the other episode when I described myself as Bambi, well, Bambi was in, in full force. And I just assumed that people were what they presented themselves to be. And I certainly found out in this case that this man wasn't. And there were red flags, and I didn't really pay attention. But when I thought about them, who do you know who would ever say or or get confused between being divorced and being widowed? That would not happen. So that was number one. He, He couldn't get his story straight. And number two, as I said, was traveling all over, retired, um, and yet he couldn't do help him, his son buy a car. And as we all know, you can get a used car pretty cheaply. So I think he really was out of money, although pretending not to be. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but his affect was extremely flat. I remember that his team was in the Super Bowl that year. It was 2011, so whoever that would have been. And he said he was a huge fan. And I said, oh my God, you must be so excited. And he responded to me in the flattest voice that you ever heard. So, you know, I I probably would have overlooked those things. And I'm very lucky that he did not uh, ask me out again and, and went no further. 
I happened by pure accident to meet someone later who had been in business with him and gave me a little more information. One thing is that he was not a geriatric psychiatrist, as he had told me. He was a psychopharmacologist, meaning that he dealt in the medication that you prescribe as a psychiatrist. So the idea of giving a drug to his wife, he he was well-versed in drugs and, and their effects. The other thing that this other gentleman told me who had worked with Fred was that he noticed on Fred's wall one day that he had a uh, framed diploma from the University of Guadalajara Medical School. Guadalajara is in Mexico. And I've known people who didn't get into medical school in the United States and and went to medical school or veterinary school or, or any kind of school elsewhere. And often that's perfectly fine. And they come back and they practice medicine in the U.S. and and everything's great. Uh, But my friend asked Fred a question. He said, um, did they teach the courses in school there in English? And Fred said, no. And my friend said, well, Fred, do you speak Spanish? And Fred said, no. So... (laughs) <laughs> there sounds fraudulent to me. Um, I don't know how he got a medical degree, but uh, he did get a medical degree. And just, like I said, pay attention to the small things. Um, you know, I hope you got that takeaway from this story. And I'd love to hear if you've had any safety issues in dating as well and how you handled it. Every woman who's dating needs to know that she's not alone in this, and we can all learn from each other's experiences when it comes to safety, particularly, and when it comes to all aspects of dating. Because as you know, and I say it in every episode, and I'll continue to say it, we are all in this together. So until next time, take care. (laughs) 